In our latest podcast episode, Mark Huxley was joined by Guild Freeman Tony Matharu, founder and chairman of Blue Orchid Hotels, Andrew Richardson, managing director of the Home House Collection of Private Members Clubs, and Simon Fordham, mentor, coach and chairman of the Association of British Mentors. With each having a professional interest in the hospitality sector, they had a wide-ranging discussion about the current plight of the sector during the COVID pandemic. In particular, they looked at the immediate consequences of it, how they adapted, and now looking further ahead as the lockdown lifts, they consider what the future may hold, and as a sector that is key to maintaining the social fabric and mental well-being of the public, what they think the government should be doing to support it. Thanks for taking the time out to, to speak to us, Tony, Andrew, Simon. I, I guess probably a good place to start is I'll let you introduce yourselves a little more fully, talk about what you get up to in your day lives, and maybe just share a, a, a couple of kind of opening sentences about what you've confronted, you know, both obviously during the lockdown and maybe slightly prior to that with the social distancing part coming out and when all that, that was in, in implemented. So, Tony, maybe start with you, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So I'm Tony Matharu, I'm the Managing Director and Chairman of a new hotel group called Blue Orchid Hotels, having, having formerly started a hotel chain some 30 odd years ago uh, that grew uh, dynamically and organically, but, um, but I, I faced a crisis of my own with uh, a couple of the shareholders wanting to go in a different direction. Um, again, rather like COVID, unexpected, major disruption, but I'm now out of that and um, started a new group, Integrity International, and now facing a different kind of crisis with COVID. In my spare time, I'm on the board of the London Chamber of Commerce and chair the Asian Business Association. I'm a director of some business improvement districts, and I, I'm involved in, uh, in, on board level or trustee or patron of a number of charities and arts institutions. Uh, this is, uh, in some senses, a quite an unprecedented situation that we are facing in the hospitality sector. We've faced 7-7 and 9-11 um, and, and, uh, and volcanic eruptions, and then globally the impacts of of recessions and credit crunches. But whilst those were of a type of crisis, this is quite unusual. It's global, it affects everybody, uh, and it's unpredictable. And nobody really knows where it's going and therefore how to react to it. Thank you. Um, Andrew, would you like to share? Yeah, uh, thanks, Mark, and uh, thanks, everyone. And uh, obviously, it's a pleasure to be able to chat with uh, fellow Guild members. Um, yeah, I'm Andrew Richardson, um, Managing Director of uh, Home House Collection, which is uh, Home House Members Club, which has obviously been around for 20 years now, a very successful social uh, club, and uh, the new uh, Members Club called Homegrown, which is um, purely for uh, entrepreneurs and business leaders um, and with investors and service providers. So effectively, one club is all about having a lot of social fun, and the other one is for supporting uh, business people on, on their growth journey which obviously had only really just opened and got into its first six months before the um, COVID hit. So that, that's given us its own set of challenges because it was just starting to, to find its feet. But I guess for me, the, the, the COVID journey has been one of anxieties and managing those anxieties. I mean, I've obviously experienced the you know, recession in 2008. I was in Hong Kong in restaurants and bars when the Asian economy collapsed. So, you know, seen recessions before, but this, this one obviously quite uh, unique. And initially it was, um, you know, what are we going to do with all the staff when, you, when you're told to close? You know, it was all about how we're going to survive and reach a, an element of sustainability and then thereafter thrive. So, you know, the first issue was staff. Um, obviously, the furlough scheme helped that. Then it's a matter of, you know, do we have enough cash to see ourselves through this and what does the funding look like? But then you get to a point where you've managed to, you know, we thankfully we got that resolved. Um, and then the next thing is, um, am I using this time wisely? 
you know, are we using it well to reset, have a good look at our business to come out of this strong? And then you're moving on to sort of the phase we are now is that uh, when we do open, uh, what the, will the conditions be like? And, um, you know, and, and that's also the final element of the anxiety, really, because hospitality businesses need to be busy um, to sustain, you know, the cost base. So um, we're nearly there, but looking forward to get reopened and obviously looking forward to another you know, conversation with my hospitality uh, peer group. Thanks, Andrew. Simon, I mean, you, you see the world through a slightly different lens in the work that you're doing. Yeah, I spent 20 odd years um, in the hospitality sector, including leisure, uh, restaurants, events and event management. And now I mentor, coach and consult into many sectors, predominantly hospitality because it's, it's, it's the sector that I know most. Um, and I still love it a bit. It's still my sector and it's given me a, a wonderful life, which I'm, I'm very pleased about and humbled about. Um, I've also got a non-exec director position with City Matters, the city newspaper. Um, I sit on their board and I'm chair and board director of the Association of Business Mentors, which probably brings me here today because I've been, since COVID-19 struck um, the UK and the rest of the world, I've been helping the um, Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy um, with their COVID-19 um, business support team, looking at how business support can be used in, in the weeks, months and uh, coming up really. Um, looking forward to working with them more closely to really understand how they, the government, can help the hospitality sector beyond the next few months really, because this is going to be around for a long time yet, as far as I believe. I think the government support is going to be a, a, a very key part of this conversation. So maybe we'll just kind of part that for a second. And I just kind of wanted to go back to something you were saying, Andrew, about, you know, I think we can all work out what the immediate crisis was um, that, that you would have confronted. But you, you talked about kind of resetting your, your business. Maybe kind of you guys can, can share some thoughts about what, what that's really meant. And much of that is going to be about, you know, challenges and headwinds that, that are in front of you. But I think, you know, any, any of us kind of watching the press and the, and the media, there's, there's been a lot of reimagination and innovation that's also come out during this period. It'd just be interesting to, to get your, your, your thoughts and, and shares around that. Maybe start with you, Andrew, as you've cited it. You, you've got this period, this window, which has been three months. And obviously you've got to keep certain things ticking over in the background. Um, for us, you know, we, we have a, a base of uh, members you know, and um, some of them have continued to, to support the business and pay their subscriptions, which we're going to reimburse in, in, in the form of a levy when we reopen so they can spend that money but we try to keep keep our customer base engaged obviously you know you, you want to hang on to your customers you hope they'll still be there when when you reopen and thrive uh, we've had to i think we've taken the time to re-examine our sort of mission vision values make sure that they're appropriate for now and, and, and the future and then obviously get ourselves in the best position we can um, but i've tried not to overthink what opening will look like because to be honest i don't really think you can completely change the hospitality sector you know people like to go out they like to be amongst others you know the idea of a successful restaurant bar hotel is a busy one not not a quiet one um so you know i think hopefully the conditions the distancing conditions when we do reopen will, will not last last too long because if if they do well you know the hospitality sector will never be the same again and i think even the you know the restaurant sector alone before covid employed you know 900 and odd thousand people so 
you know, you can't run those businesses with only 20% of your customer base. So I'm taking sort of um, a little bit of enthusiasm and encouragement, I think, from my colleagues that I used to work with within Hong Kong. And SARS hit in 2003. And that was, I think that killed, um, I think 8,000 cases and I think killed 800. So it, it was, um, if you caught it, you know, it was, it was far riskier, but it didn't spread as easy as, as COVID has. But they um, reminded me, and I've had recent discussions, I've been talking to them, and incidentally, they've stayed open, restaurants have stayed open all the way through COVID, albeit with distancing conditions. But people, we all forget very quickly. Um, and I've been sort of looking at behavior of people getting on and off buses at the moment, and everybody knows that, you know, this could spread again, but people seem to forget so quickly. And if there's a bit of a space on the bus and they've got to get somewhere, people seem to be happy to get on there. So, you know, I think um, whichever way we look at this eventually, when people you know, start to forget our behavior returns to normal, normal very quickly. So we're just making sure that when that happens, you know, our business is as best prepared as possible for that. And the final comment I suppose I'd make is that I think with the furlough scheme, the government have been very sensible and that, the, you know, the hospitality industry is able to bring people back into the, you know, onto the payroll as our business levels uh, start to rise again as this becomes hopefully a thing of the past. And, and, and Tony, I mean, as a hotelier, just echo the question asked of Andrew, it, it, what have you specifically confronted? And, and, uh, and obviously I'm guessing you had to very quickly adapt into finding some new way of working whenever, whenever the hotel's gonna come back out. You know, I, I'd like to pick up on a few things that, and, and perhaps extend them that um, Andrew just said. So, and, and he referred to a few things, SARS and how um, he is re relatively optimistic because pandemics are, are not the exception, actually, they're the rule. And whether it's SARS or MERS um, or something else, if you go back through history, they have existed, they are the rule. Uh, we just have, um, have rather ignorantly forgotten about it, apart from before Bill Gates. And, and, uh, and also, you know, there have been, even as far as just recently as three or four years ago, uh, the, the greatest fear was um, was a pandemic, uh, as expressed by some learned academics. Um, and, and of course, we, we, we didn't pay sufficient heed to that. Had we done so, we would have perhaps have been better at planning. So the, um, my, my thoughts are um, that pandemics have been around, um, uh, viruses have been around for 300 million years. Um, uh, things have never been the same immediately afterwards, but they, you know, they have existed. And, we, and they've changed the way in which we, we work, we travel, we behave. And, uh, and this is no exception. We're doing this, whether it's global trade or, lo or we're deciding to go more local or we're building bigger stocks or we're worried about security. The World Travel and Tourism Council have f forever said that the biggest impact on our businesses across the globe was a security issue. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily planes flying into towers um, or bombs going off in the underground just security generally, and I don't think sufficient attention was paid to sort of the pandemic in security. So I, I echo what, um, what was said about SARS. Coming back to some of the other things that Andrew mentioned, he mentioned values. When, I, when my business was, um, was disrupted by uh, other people, um, it gave me time to rethink. And um, after 30 odd years of building a business, I, I, I started with my values. What is it that I need to do? What are the values that I want to have? And how am I going to demonstrate them, whatever the circumstances? I'm, I'm pleased to say that whatever values that we set out and articulated formally on our website, we've been able to stick through. So I think that understanding your values 
and designing them such that they really fit any circumstances, including crises like this, is, is an important place to go back to because your people and your clients um, know that you're authentic and that you live by what you say. So I think that in resetting, you can go back to that, always draw on strength from, from your values. And whatever the challenges and headwinds that have been um, described and whether you need to reset. Um, I, I think there's other, other things that are instructive are for all organisations to, is to look at the nature of crises. I, I mentioned that I'm involved in a number of charities. Um, initially, they, uh, I was involved in, in post-emergency, post-disaster recovery. And, and I learned a lot of things over the last um, 16 years on that. And I think they're all relevant for this um, situation. So whilst I haven't responded immediately on just the impact on, on me specifically and a, a pandemic on the hospitality sector and how I have pivoted, I'll come back to that in a moment. If we just look at the, the nature of crisis, uh, it, I mean, first thing to say is, of course, they're personal for anybody that has lost loved ones or damaged relationships or have, you know, or have no or have been touched by the vulnerabilities that any crisis created, whether it's a man-made or a pandemic or a war, um, it's, it's a personal thing. Um, but if we take this pandemic and compare it to the tuberculosis with this treacherous antibiotic resistance um, that, uh, that impacted on 1.5 million people in 2018. So that's a lot of loss in that case, but nobody really um, got involved with it. And, um, and so you have to put it in perspective. It's very serious, it affects my business, it affects people, it affects society and separation, isolation, uh, economic distress and financial hardship and all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of it, the, the, uh, what it does do is focus on, on our health and our well-being. Life is paramount, relationships above all else. And I think that's one of the things that come out, come out of this, including and especially the relationships with our, our team members uh, and our lead, leadership teams uh, and our clients and so on, whether they are members or not. So other, other things that are typical in, in crisis that, are, that we're facing now, uh, and I think that could be exemplified in, 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 in the COVID crisis for my business and for everybody's business, are, are the stage one denial. In, in, the information comes out, it's over there, it's, it's, you know, it's what is it? How's it gonna affect on me? Isn't it awful? Um, and you get into this denial. I actually am still partly in, 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 in the denial stage because the information that's out there, it, it can be questioned. The, 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 I think that people have, have questioned the, the European sort of Eurovision statistics of you know, one country's fatalities against another and are they comparable? You've got the R factor and what is R and what are the assumptions made on it and does it really include all those people that really have been um, impacted by, by COVID or not. You know, I, I may have had it, but I, nobody will know about it. So I think there's some assumptions based even on things like R or comparables made that give, you, give rise to questions of, of you know, the, the validity of information and the establishment of the authority and the way it's communicated. But stage one is denial. You know, does, is it going to affect me? How are we going to, how, how are we going to overcome that? Then if you move us in using, again, the same language that Andrew used uh, about anxiety. If this is bad. Uh, we need to mobilise resources. Let's get energetic. We get busy. We need to um, offer clarity and direction. We need to take responsibility, um, and um, and we and we get to this anxiety phase. So I think we're through that, and we're now through to the adjustment phase, which is the the precursor to the reevaluation phase. So the adjustment phase, we we all take steps to mitigate, as, as we've rightly said. Um, the furloughing has been extremely helpful. 
Um, I'm not sure how the hospitality businesses could survive um, without the furlough scheme. So the government have done well. Uh, and even for the loans and the, and the suspension, I would prefer uh, perhaps a, a greater action on business rates because, of course, bricks and mortar businesses like hotels ha ha have very sub substantial business rates. And, and in my view, it's an unfair tax anyway because it doesn't reflect revenue or Amazon or Google or, um, or, or, or the, the new... Uh, sharing economy businesses, it, it really is almost like a window tax. Uh, should we board up our windows? Probably not. But nevertheless, um, the, the furloughing scheme has been extremely helpful uh, and helpful to, for us to, to take time to take the right steps to mitigate the fallout, to prepare for the next stage uh, so that we can innovate and adapt and, uh, and start to demonstrate solidarity, to make change and prepare for the fourth phase, which is the re-evaluation uh, planning, applying measures, recovering, regenerating, evaluating, um, and um, and pivoting, as 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 Andrew said, um, meeting the headwinds, um, and looking at how we can reorganise our businesses, um, and um, and perhaps look for opportunities with 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 the knowledge, as Andrew said, with um, the opportunity cost. The cost of doing one thing is the is something else that we can't do or can't do as well, uh, and that our staff, if furloughed, can't be doing in order to prepare for the headwinds. So um, I think that that's all instructive and, and, it, and it's helped me um, because of that crisis management experience in, you know, in the field, in Sri Lanka after the tsunami, uh, in Nepal after the earthquakes, in Pakistan after the Kashmir earthquakes. It's given me um, a, a sense of trying to put it in perspective and what are the learnings from that. Uh, as far as my business goes, uh, the very first thing I did was to make sure that this was not you know, a, a huge crisis that couldn't be overcome. Uh, we are able to overcome uh, and instead of going into hibernation actually i accelerated change so the first thing i did um, was to look at what were the potential um, requirements in a crisis accommodation for those in need so we've now provided over 4,500 room nights to key workers we were probably the first off the mark 27,000 meals to uh, people who were vulnerable or needed it again we were way on that in you know, uh, uh, you know before anybody even perhaps mentioned pandemic so I think that that helped um, because we could understand where the needs might be uh, and how to respond to it. it. Despite the fact that you know, the government restrictions currently are that hotels cannot open, um, except for um, the people that we identified at early stage, uh, the vulnerable, uh, those people self-isolating, those people stranded and those people who are providing critical care. So uh, that, that was all helpful. Um, and, and certainly in, in, in early stages, but it doesn't, it's not all that helpful for what goes on in the future because, of course, very capital-intensive businesses like hotels and hospitality venues, um, you know, Lords and, and the Oval, perhaps Wimbledon, if it didn't have insurance, another, another topic for another day. Um, these are big, and the O2, Royal Albert Hall, the Old Vic, they're all, they're, they're all meeting challenges of businesses that re rely on people meeting and gathering, and that is, that is a challenge, so we have to look at what alternative opportunities there are in our, in our fixed capital. But the one thing that I've focused on is looking at distribution channels, creating a, uh, a system that allows us in these, way, in these days, um, who knows whether agencies and the distribution channels that are reliant on things like the airlines and the global distribution systems are going to exist. Uh, as Andrew said, we, we're talking more directly to our customers. Uh, and so I've created a booking channel that is enab enabling that to happen. Direct, direct person to person, consumer to consumer, business to business, um, ability to connect and make bookings. And that's been a challenge, but it, it's worthwhile. 
Uh, and secondly, in order to manage my remote workers in a better way, for them to um, work better, to utilize a single database, to be able to, uh, to pool resources, for me to manage them and for them to communicate better between themselves. Uh, that form of innovation would have probably taken longer. Um, and, and a crisis like this stimulates the thoughts about what's gonna happen in the future and how we're going to work in the future, how we're going to be more efficient and save resources, reduce costs, um, and generate new revenue new streams in the same way that digital um, uh, performances um, on, in theatres, debates, podcasts like this are, are reaching audiences that perhaps we wouldn't if we were meeting over cocktails and having a, and debates around six foot tables in, in venues. So those are uh, rather long-windedly the kind of things that I've been doing. No, great, thank you. I mean, Simon, uh, uh, somebody who, who mentors businesses uh, and, and taking you know, the, the great breadth of challenges both Andrew and Tony have, have, have covered there, how has that shaped what you've done? Do you recognise that across some of the kind of say, more wider diverse businesses you work with or are there different challenges maybe for, for slightly smaller scale organisations out there that, that, that need some specific addressing? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Really interesting um, points raised by both Andrew and, and, and Tony. I think um, what, what I found with the businesses that I'm currently working with and, and still working with uh, is that what they were severely lacking were the elements of planning, um, because planning just doesn't come onto the radar for a general business owner. Um, he or she's you know, busy spinning lots of plates to, to make the business work. And whilst they, they may have a team around them, trying to get that team to also think strategically is sometimes very difficult. Implementing or understanding those what-if scenarios should something like um, pandemics occur or 9-11 occur or you know, um, another volcano erupts is, is not something they, they readily do. It, it's, it's almost a reactionary response to something that's happened. So that, that's been an interesting um, opportunity for me to work with um, the companies cross-sector, in particular hospitality, to understand what they need to do now to, to be ready for post-COVID-19. But one thing we are particularly good at in, in, I think, probably the UK and generally, is that we're good at adapting um, and being innovative in what we do. And I think uh, it was both Andrew and Tony mentioned about resetting the business model and, and pivoting it for something new um, and what's required. And one thing that the, the pandemic has definitely allowed us to do with the businesses that I certainly work with is that the resulting lockdown has offered those businesses um, more time and definitely therefore opportunity to review their current business model to say, is it fit for you know, the coming months and, and years ahead? Because this, this is going to change us. And you know, it, it's suggested that social distancing may be around for nine to 12 months. How, in particularly hospitality, that thrives on social gatherings and, and social events, uh, how, how are they going to adapt to that in, in respect of you know, that reduction in, in customer base and, and client opportunity? Completely agree with Tony and Andrew about the, uh, the values, mission and purpose and, and making sure that your authenticity in your marketplace is one that is constantly communicated to your client base. And communicating with your client base is so important. And I've, I've seen and heard of companies retracting, um, you know, marketing and budgets around um, promotion and advertising, when actually what you should be doing is reaching out to your client base and 
potential client base and advertising and promoting more of what you do so they know that you're still there and alive and you know currently going to trade as best you can um, in, in the new um, economic climate, whatever that looks like. So communication needs to be constant. And you know, truly, most of the hospitality companies that I work with, they're, they're the heart of the communities that they, they work and live in. You know, these, these are pubs and restaurants where local people come to them week after week after week. Um, and they are indeed the heart of the community, and we, we must never forget that. And my message to government on behalf of my clients and, and anybody in, in UK hospitality is to make sure that there is life after COVID-19 for these community-spirited organisations and companies. You know, the, all of the sector in hospitality and beyond work on very, very tight profit margins. And to think about, you know, losing potentially 75, 80% of your capacity within a restaurant or bar or pub environment is is, is very scary. So it's that financial support that we're looking for or is being offered um, extended to, I think it's now November. Uh, we're going to have to look to see how we can extend that perhaps even further and come up with some very, very innovative ways of how those establishments can continue to survive. I mean, it's part of the, the economic chain of business is that actually we're all in this together. This isn't about just the restaurateur or the hotelier or the pub or bar owner looking to save, um, you know, to reduce costs. This is about not being able to pay our rates, not being able to pay our rent, not being able to, you know, afford our commercial mortgages because the business models have fundamentally changed and will have changed for a considerable period of time. And, and you know, landlords, commercial mortgage providers, government as well, have to join forces to say we have to rethink how this is going to work you know if, if establishments are no longer in a position to be able to afford these properties premises that they're currently in um because of their re reduction in trade how is that going to affect our market as well and how can we adapt so there has to be innovation and adaptation across the board and unless that happens it's going to be a real struggle so my, my call to action if you like is for all the that chain in that economic environment of hospitality and beyond. Let's work together. Let's put our heads together. Let's make sure that we can make this work for not just the people that own these establishments, but also our communities as well. And, and Simon, just staying with you, I mean, you, you mentioned the government a few times in there. Do you think that the government have put the right measures in at the moment, the, the best appropriate measures? And do you think that they've got a genuine long-term appreciation of the sector in the in the going forward um, and if I might put one personal comment in there and I think building up what, what all you guys have said certainly it feels like the hospitality industry is also a very key part of the mental well-being of all of us as we as we come out of this this enforced period of lockdown you know we're, we're, we're communal souls by by nature um, you know and the kind of environments you guys have you know are, are the places we go to 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 meet with our fellow folks so so to go back to the, the government thing, do you, do, you, do, you, do you feel the government is, is operating at the right way? And if not, and, and this will be a question to all three of you, what do you think the, the government should now be doing going forward? Yeah, I get that, Mark. And, and I think you're, you're right, slightly right about the mental well-being of, of you know, the, the, the population in general. We, we are social animals and we need to be able to meet socially um, in order to gain you know, creative interactions with, with everybody and each other. As far as what the government's done, I think I think they've pulled several rabbits out of hats over the last uh, number of weeks. You know, it, could more be done? Yes, of course, more can be done. Where? Uh, 
that takes some considerable thought. Um, they were very, very quick to reach out to business support organisations and businesses generally um, to ask what they need to do to make this work and help people. They responded in a, in a very effective way. Um, I'm not saying that everything they've done has been 100% perfect. And of course, they can always do more. But you know, th this all has to be paid for somewhere along the line. And, and we're going to be you know, repaying all sorts of uh, debt for many years to come as a result of this. And the, the easiest way to do that and the quickest way to do that and the most, the less painful way to do that is to make sure the economy is back on its feet as quickly as possible. And the hospitality sector in particular is, is a great contributor to the UK economy and UK PLC. I think that what, that, what they can do moving forward is, you know, the governments aren't pre pretty good at, look at looking at um, long-termism they're, they're very all their policies are very short-term and because of the political life cycles that we have uh, and that's a problem um, because businesses live beyond political terms um, so we have to break through somehow the the political colors that we swing between um, through various elections that we have and make sure that any business support packages that are put in place now are more than the next political term and they go beyond that. And uh, no matter what colour the government is politically, they, they support UK businesses in a way that has never been done before. And we have a great opportunity. And I, I'm like Tony, you know, I'm a, a glass half full man. I, I, I'm optimistic and I see opportunity. This is an opportunity to change and become better at what we do as a country. And I think this will give us that opportunity, but we've got to do it right. And, and for me, business support is, is one of those main key criteria that government now has to actually you know, prick their ears back and say, okay, guys, what do you need? We're going to give it to you, and this is how we're going to do it, and we need your support. And, and that, that's where I'm coming at it from. Tony, Andrew, anything to add to that? Only Tony first. Yeah, I, yeah I, absolutely. I mean, um, so I, I agree entirely with the sort of community aspect of this. If I can touch briefly on um, the membership organisations uh, without stealing Andrew's thunder. So there are membership organisations, Not I won't refer to him, but let's say UK Hospitality or the London Chamber of Commerce or the Asian Business Association or London and Partners or, or people who submit their rates through bids. It's questionable as to whether they've got value, however they describe that, in 2020 from their subscriptions of all of those. Um, a big airline isn't going to throw in £100,000 to an organisation when, when they are on their knees. They won't be able to justify it. So um, how are they going to continue It is going to be a question. So in my view, one of the first things that's got to happen is that there's got to be a London alliance. There needs to be a London alliance of businesses, all businesses, perhaps even you know, the Guild of Entrepreneurs can stimulate that along, alongside one of the other organisations. Membership free, um, start it up, get anybody who has any, any business to say we are now open and we want to connect with each other and we want to connect with our, our national colleagues and, and clients and we want to connect internationally to say, for example, if we're just talking about London, London's open. And I think then the memberships organisations will, will, will see some benefit in that. Uh, and that is one of the resets. Um, Theatres and, and venues and people, perhaps London's partners, are already admitted as supporting. Um, they put over three million pounds in supporting the creative arts uh, and the creative sector because they know they get a 50 times reward on that investment. People come to the theatres, they stay in hotels, they spend money on transport, they, they eat in restaurants, uh, they contribute to the local economy. 
Uh, and that goes to, um, to Simon's point about um, um, survival and, and, and cooperation and, and coexistence and not in isolation. So I think what would the government, what could the government do to stimulate that, um, given that we are social animal, uh, animals and, and we, we need to survive in order for that cohesive, coherent part of society to which we all belong, whether we're in the creative sector or the financial sector or hospitality sector. We, we, we all exist uh, collaboratively and together. One of the things I think that we should do is, is look at VAT. I know it's not something that the government will be wanting to think about because actually, um, uh, you know, they, uh, they will be saying we have, you know, our, our tax receipts have been significantly impaired uh, and actually we should be looking to increase that. But I think if we reduce sales tax, particularly in the hospitality sector, in fact, as they do in Europe, I think that the average, the average VAT rate across Europe for hotels is about 8%, if I'm not mistaken. UK hospitality uh, certainly have research on that. Um, and, uh, and yet we pay 20%. So I think just reducing the threshold of, of, um, of expenditure tax, including VAT on, on hospitality sector, and or doing something that other, other countries have done, which is to reduce the uh, restrictions on business reclamation. So that if businesses spend money in bars and restaurants or whatever, they can reclaim the VAT because the rules relating to that um, uh, are lower. That will be a pump primer and stimulate um, uh, some expenditure where otherwise it, it might not be. We all know that, that there is a price to be paid, but it shouldn't be on increased um, uh, recovery of tax from, a, from, a biz from business sectors that are really suffering badly. Uh, a corporation tax might be another thing. Um, when it comes to particularly to landlords and renters, um, many hotels are not as minor where I own and manage the, um, and, and own the freeholds of the buildings or the long leases. Um, uh, they, there is an operating co uh, company and there's a, there's a property owning co, a prop co and an opco. Um, and the opcos simply can't pay back their landlords. Uh, they're not, well, any revenue. They've, you know, um, um, I think it's well known and reported that Travel Lodge didn't meet their March payments to their landlords. Um, it's not news. Um, but what's gonna happen in June? Um, they, you know, people are not going to be able to pay their June um, payments. Certainly the tenants I have on certain properties uh, haven't paid in March. They possibly aren't going to pay in June. As a landlord, if I've got obligations to my bankers, then how does that help me? So it's not just the renters. It's not just the landlords. But I think we need to look at this in the round and see how we can um, uh, offer support, particularly to those that can't pivot so easily. The bricks and mortar doesn't disappear and go into an alternative use uh, in the same way that perhaps um, your manufacturing of plastic goods might. So we, we, you know, we, have, we have to think about the supply chain and the supply network that feeds all of our industries. Uh, and knowing that we can collaborate with organizations and between ourselves, that's where I think that we can gain that, that mutual understanding uh, of self-supporting structure that society and businesses depend on. Andrew, I mean, it's only mentioned a couple of times, private clubs. I mean, what does this look like for, for home house and home grown? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, pretty much support what, what's been said. I mean, ultimately, we have a big problem and, uh, to resolve. And of course, it's, it's a big number. So much money is being spent. Eventually, business has to pay that back. I mean, you know, government needs to fund all of this in, in one way or another. Um, and we're looking at, you know, increased unemployment at the moment. I think last month unemployment rose by 856,000 um, and most people are still furloughed. 
So we need, we need to make sure businesses survive. And I think when, when there's big problems in society, people need to get together. People need to meet and solve those problems. So, you know, clubs like Homegrown, uh, this is where it happens. You know, you, you get bright people in a room together um, and they collaborate, solutions appear. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of that has to be done and, and a lot with all the different uh, societies, groups and networks. At times like this is this is when um, you know people do need to to be able to socialise. It reminds me back of two thousand and eight nine when the banking crisis. As a members club, we were extremely busy because people have to do business um, and they have to find new clients, the answers to some of their issues, more funding, etc. So, I think um, societies and clubs have a huge role to play in in facilitating. Uh, that, 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 that networking, that, that coming together, um, because it, we need to ensure all these businesses do survive and continue to hire the people that they have. Um, and to do that, I think there's got to be a big correction in the market. If we're looking at hospitality businesses with the reduced sales, unfortunately, I think landlords have to look at less rent and the taxation and the VAT and all these issues better to be adjusted than, than put numbers of people are out of work and on unemployment that's not going to help anybody maybe just a kind of a, a, a quick roundup final question i mean in the classic crystal ball gazing yeah, if you were to move the clock on a year to this time next year what do you think either your businesses and or the hospitality landscape is actually going to look like andrew i mean you, you had the chair a second ago do you, do you want to take that one first yeah i think um I think hotels will, will survive. I think they've got a difficult period with um, obviously the lack of international travel. Um, so they're very much local market stuff. I think restaurants are going to have a really tough time. I think you know a lot of landlords probably aren't keen to adjust rental levels. And if there's social distancing, I think it'll, they'll get back. I think a lot of close, but um, restaurants industry is, is quite robust. You know, eventually when the market returns, you know, you'll see openings again. So it's quite cyclical. Um, so I think established businesses with a good customer base will, of course, survive. Um, could be a bit difficult for, for a while. But, you know, like the others, I'm, I'm always positive and I think eventually it, everything will bounce back, um, you know, and um, it may take a year or slightly longer, but uh, the, the, the long-term future, I think, is, is positive. Tony, from the, the hotel perspective? Well, again, glass, glass half full, um, but, it, but there is a but. Uh, and, and it depends, uh, and it depends on uh, you know, the the uh, environment of support. And I I don't mean holding your hand out to the government, although the government does have a role to play in it. As do landlords, as do tenants, not to exploit the opportunities that are there. Um, but there is this so this this, this um, uh, collaborative, um, and mutually beneficial uh, existence with where um, businesses, business travellers events organizations uh, venues uh, the creative arts um, and uh, and the, the business owners all need to uh, understand that they are interdependent and if that collaboration can exist um, i think that the opportunities are going to be much better than otherwise uh, i'm not so optimistic about all the businesses surviving um, I, I simply cannot see how people who are highly leveraged um, can do without six, nine months, even 12 months of no income. The government have said that hotels can't open, except for particular um, types of clientele which are largely non-paying. You can't exist with thousands of hotel bedrooms um, and no income, um, not if you're leveraged. So 
uh, in, in those circumstances, it will depend on things like the bank support, supported by the government. And I see that there's a likelihood, rather like the train operating companies or TfL, um, the government aren't simply going to throw money at the train operating companies and say, here it is for you. If they do it on, by way of grant, that's better than if they do it by way of a loan, because the loan still has to be paid back at some point in time. But um, uh, the fact is that without um, this mutual support from multiple organisations, uh, that people will fall down. Uh, will that be good for business in general? No, because I think that there's a, a self-supporting structure. People come to London, people come to, uh, for a multiplicity of reasons, not just for a hotel, but for the events industry, for, for um, uh, football and cricket and tennis and lots of other organisations and theatres. And so we are mutually dependent. And the banks have a critical part to play in that because they, they should have learned from mistakes in the early 90s when they foreclosed. They ended up owning more hotels and having diminishing value um, of security in their bank vaults that did them no good. Uh, injudicious lending tra practices led to uh, further injudicious lending um, um, reclaiming practices uh, that diminished everything for everybody. So I'd like to think that we could take a longer term view um, and, and that everybody would understand that there's mutual benefit in a self-supporting structure involving government, tax, landlords, tenants, um, and, uh, and the businesses themselves and the people within it, because ultimately it's a people thing. People's losses in COVID are personal. Uh, people's businesses are their livelihoods. Uh, it impacts on society generally. Um, and and uh, the world's a better place if that rich tapestry is, is made, is, is a, an integrity is maintained. Simon, a few final words from you. Yeah, um, obviously echo everything Andrew and, and Tony so eloquently put. Um, my my soapbox talk, if you like, is to make sure that um, the people involved in the sector and beyond, you know, this, this applies to, to many other business sectors as well, but cohesive working is, is definitely the way forward and it's what's going to get us through this. Um, I agree with Tony that I don't believe everybody will survive. Not everybody, every business will come out of this successfully. However, the ones that do are probably in a stronger position to benefit from a cohesive working practice where we all mutually benefit from working together much more closely. And there's no doubt about it. You know, we all work in silos to a degree, you know, whether it be, you know, the, the restaurateur, the hotelier, or, or the landlord, um, or the building owner, uh, and the and the banks and and the government. You know, we're all vying for position, all trying to better ourselves without improving the offer to each other, uh, and that's got to stop. I think this this is this is opportunity. This is the time to come together for mutual benefit. And and the more we can do that, the more the the whole economy can benefit as, as a as a result. And you know that anything that anybody can do to make that happen. And whether it be a you know a pan a pan London alliance uh, and beyond will we'll benefit everybody and, and that's the main thing and the, ultimately the people that benefit will also be the communities because every employee that we employ spends money in the community uh, in some way shape or form every business we that survives spends money in their community in, in some, some way shape or form and so that mutual benefit is is there must be addressed must be recognised and let's all work together to make it happen. Gentlemen, time is upon us, so thank you. That was really, really interesting.
I think all, all we can ever do is hopefully just wish you well for, for whatever your next year comes about and we actually are having this conversation in a much happier place. Thank you.